Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband Bob. Today, we will be reading Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 to 35, and Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 to 24, from the Good News Translation, today's English version. Beginning at chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was loved less than Rachel, he made it possible for her to have children, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She said, The Lord has seen my trouble, and now my husband will love me. So she named him Reuben. She became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She said, The Lord has given me this son also, because he heard that I was not loved. So she named him Simeon. Once again, she became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She said, Now my husband will be bound more tightly to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Then she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. But Rachel had not borne Jacob any children, and so she became jealous of her sister, and said to Jacob, Give me children or I will die. Jacob became angry with Rachel and said, I can't take the place of God. He is the one who keeps you from having children. She said, Here is my slave, Bilhah, sleep with her, so that she can have a child for me. In this way I can become a mother through her. So she gave Bilhah to her husband, and he had intercourse with her. Bilhah became pregnant and bore Jacob a son. Rachel said, God has judged in my favor. He has heard my prayer and has given me a son. So she named him Dan. Bilhah became pregnant again and bore Jacob a second son. Rachel said, I have fought a hard fight with my sister, but I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah realized that she had stopped having children, she gave her slave Zilpah to Jacob as his wife. Then Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Leah said, I have been lucky, so she named him Gad. Zilpah bore Jacob another son, and Leah said, How happy I am! Now women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went into the fields and found mandrakes, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Leah answered, Isn't it enough that you have taken away my husband? Now you are even trying to take away my son's mandrakes. Rachel said, If you will give me your son's mandrakes, you can sleep with Jacob tonight. When Jacob came in from the fields in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You are going to sleep with me tonight, because I have paid for you with my son's mandrakes. So he had intercourse with her that night. God answered Leah's prayer, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my reward, because I gave my slave to my husband. So she named her son Issachar. Leah became pregnant again and bore Jacob a sixth son. So she said, God has given me a fine gift. Now my husband will accept me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Later she bore a daughter, whom she named Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He answered her prayer and made it possible for her to have children. 
she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She said, God has taken away my disgrace by giving me a son. May the Lord give me another son. So she named him Joseph. Here ends our reading of Genesis 29 and 30. Genesis chapter 29 verse 31 states that God made it possible for Leah to have children. Other English translations say that God opened Leah's womb. Patriarchal theology has attached great significance to this language. Numerous commentators have suggested, for example, that in order for a woman to become pregnant, God must supernaturally intervene. While every new life can be considered a miracle, patriarchal thinking takes this notion to a different level. Conceiving a child is viewed as requiring supernatural intervention that supersedes human biology. Many women influenced by this patriarchal commentary have expressed guilt over using birth control. Since they have been led to believe that every human conception is a direct result of supernatural intervention, they have felt that using birth control is a sign that they do not have faith in God. Numerous books, blogs, etc. have also stated that verses like Genesis 29.31 affirm the notion that God created women for the sole purpose of bearing and raising children. A woman's place, it is wrongly said, is in the home. In reality, nothing about Genesis 29.31 says anything about a woman's alleged place in society. Neither does this verse suggest that every human pregnancy requires supernatural intervention. The conception and birth of the Messiah required God's miraculous intervention because according to Luke 1.34, Mary had not had any sexual relations with a man. Jesus' virgin birth is rightly described as a miracle. The conceptions of John the Baptist and Isaac were also miraculous because both of their mothers were postmenopausal and had been childless all of their lives. The pregnancies of Leah and Rachel, as recorded in Genesis chapters 29 and 30, were also likely miraculous. Based on the recently published findings of Dr. Human Musavi Fatemi, medical director of the IVI Middle East Fertility Clinic, Fertility rates among persons who marry close relatives are dramatically reduced. Sexual relations among close family members can have a generational impact on female eggs and male Y chromosomes. This information suggests that Sarah and Abraham may have initially had difficulty conceiving because they were close relatives. Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. Leah's pregnancies may also have been miraculous because she and Jacob were first cousins. In Genesis 30 verse 2, Jacob claims that only God could give Rachel a child. When Joseph was finally conceived, this may also have required a miracle because Jacob and Rachel were also first cousins. In keeping with this thinking, Genesis 30 verse 22 tells us that Rachel was able to conceive because God remembered her prayers. As we look carefully at the Bible passage we have read today, we also see further evidence of a fallen patriarchal culture. 
According to historian James C. Thompson on his webpage, Women in Ancient Israel, quote, A wife's first duty was to give birth, preferably to a son, to continue her husband's name and lineage. So important was it for a man to have a son that the most common reason for divorce, easy to obtain for a man, was childlessness. In well-to-do families, it was common for the wife to have a personal slave. If the wife could not conceive, she would give the slave to her husband. Any child that resulted would give the wife as much status as actually giving birth herself. End of quote. While some presume that this patriarchal culture was an expression of God's will, nowhere does the Bible state that this is so. In fact, God was not pleased with Abraham and Sarah when they made use of Sarah's slave Hagar in an attempt to fulfill God's promise of a son by human means. Also, Malachi 2.15 can be interpreted as a warning to husbands not to divorce their wives in pursuit of offspring by other women. A culture that tells women that it is their duty to bear and raise sons to carry on their husband's lineage is not God's culture. A husband's love should not depend upon whether or not his wife can bear him sons. In our last podcast episode, we also demonstrated that polygamy and marrying close relatives were never examples of God's will. Genesis chapters 29 and 30 also do not tell us that it is God's plan for all women to get married, bear children, and be homemakers. Unfortunately, the Titus II, or Quiverful movement, teaches that it is. They base this belief on both a mistranslation and a misinterpretation of Titus 2, verse 5, found in the New Testament. In the King James Version of the Bible, this verse encourages wives to, quote, be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed, unquote. To begin, this verse in its original Greek language does not tell women to be obedient to their husbands. It uses the same Greek verb, hupotazo, that is applied to all Christians, male and female, in Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. Those verses teach us that every follower of Jesus Christ, who is filled with the Spirit of God, will demonstrate this by, quote, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ, unquote. This means that Christians are to be willing to serve one another out of an attitude of humility and Christ-like love. It is important to note that the verb hupotazo in both Ephesians 5.21 and Titus 2.5 is written in the Greek middle voice. This means that the mutual willingness to serve among Christians is voluntary. It has nothing whatsoever to do with obedience that is compelled by external authority. Secondly, in its original Greek language, women are not referred to as housekeepers. Many women in the ancient Roman Empire had slaves to do their housekeeping, yet another example of a fallen culture. The Greek word in Titus 2.5 refers to women as household managers. Furthermore, 
The passage does not command women to be household managers. It simply recognizes that according to the cultural norms of the day, many women found themselves in that position. The passage tells women who were already household managers how they could be good examples of the Christian faith. They could do this by being self-controlled, pure, kind, and humble. Rather than prescribing social roles for women, this passage simply encouraged women to demonstrate Christ-like virtues in the position they were already in. Neither the Old Testament passages found in Genesis 29 and 30, nor the New Testament passage found in Titus 2.5 prescribe social roles for every woman that include childbearing and housekeeping. Those who teach otherwise have sadly mistaken the cultural norms of a fallen world for the will of God.